0: I want to talk this morning on this thought, adopted and accepted. Adopted and accepted. I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Today we'll finish these verses and next week we'll pick up in verse 7 and we'll begin to move forward in this chapter. But this is week 5 in our series in the book of Ephesians. let's look at Ephesians 1 beginning at verse number 3 through verse number 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Last week our main focus was verse 4, and we talked about the doctrine of election, and I probably gave you a lot of information that left you scratching your head, left you with a lot of questions, maybe even left you upset as you left the service last week. But to briefly recap what we learned as we talked about the doctrine of election, we saw that the doctrine of election teaches that God chooses people for salvation, that God chooses whom He will save. Second Thessalonians 2.13 is a verse that I used last week, and here's what it says. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I showed many verses last week, and I believe as best as I could through the help of the Holy Spirit, walk you through Scripture that shows God clearly chooses people for salvation. But on the other hand, the Bible never teaches that God chooses people to be lost. God desires men to be saved. And so the fact that God chooses some to be saved doesn't imply that He arbitrarily condemns all the rest to be lost and all the rest to go to hell. Hear what I'm about to say. God never condemns people who deserve to be saved because there are none. But He does save some who ought to be condemned. And when you understand election in light of that, it begins to make more sense. You see, the reason we say election isn't fair because we think we all deserve to be saved. But in reality, no one deserves to be saved. And so if God saves some and not all, God is just. Does that begin to help us make a little bit better sense? I know it still frustrates us. The doctrine of election simply lets God be God. And as I said last week, if you could figure Him out, He wouldn't be God. You see, God is sovereign, God's in control, and God can do as He pleases. And He'll never do anything unholy, He'll never do anything that is unjust. And so here's the thing, if God left all of humanity alone... Where do you think all of humanity would end up? In hell. And so God has the right to show mercy to whomever He wants to show mercy. And so if God says, I want to have compassion on this one and not this one, then God can do that. If God says, I want to be merciful to some and not to others, God can do that. And us, we scream, that's not fair. But Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. And again, our our, our nature says, I don't like that preacher. But isn't that what our Bible says? Because we live in a land of America, equal opportunity. But let me say this. There's another side of the story. The Bible does teach sovereign election, but it teaches human responsibility. Nobody can use the doctrine of election to, as an excuse for not being saved. Nobody can say, because I'm not chosen is the reason I'm not saved. Nobody can use that excuse. Because even though the Bible teaches that God chooses people for salvation, it also teaches that whomsoever will can come and be saved. Now let me ask you, are you confused yet? Even though it says that God chose before the foundation of the world, it, saw, it also says that whosoever is thirsty and whosoever is burned and weary can come and find rest for your soul. It teaches both. It's mind boggling, isn't it? It's a mystery. But guess what? The mystery isn't on God's side, it's on our side. And we'll never reconcile them in this world. And so, yes, does God choose? Yes. But can anybody come? Yes. And I can give you one verse to show you both. John 6, 37, Brother Bill. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's election. He says, says, the Father's given me some, and they will come to me. But the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. There's some that's been given to me and they will come because they've been chosen. But the one who comes, I'll never cast them out. So anybody who wants to be saved can be saved. Anybody who wants to go to heaven can be heaven because he won't reject them. So God chooses, but yet he offers salvation freely to whoever wants it. And we sit here scratching our head thinking, how can God do it? I don't know. I'm not God. But it's in the Bible, and I preach both. And we just have to accept both. That's all we can do. Just accept both and let God be God. Amen? Just let Him be God. That God chooses. But yet, if anybody wants to come... They can come. And so this morning, we're going to finish these verses, verses 3 through 6, and we're going to see what else God has done for us. Not only has He chosen us for salvation, but we're going to see three results of God's choice of us. That because we are the elect, because God has chosen before the foundation of the world, we're going to see three things that God, as a result of God choosing us. So number one, we have been changed. As a result of God's electing choice of people He is going to save, we see that He has changed us. Look at verse 4 again. It says, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, notice this, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So, you'll notice letter A there on your outline. First of all, we are changed in our practice. The verse says that after salvation, we should be Holy. The word holy refers to a most holy thing. Think about the things of the tabernacle and the things of the temple. They were set apart and they were sanctified. They were made holy. You see, we are chosen not just to be saved, but also to live changed lives. You see, any person that's been chosen to salvation, chosen to live a life for God, means they've been chosen to also live a sanctified life. In other words, a person can't say, I'm part of the elect of God and then still live like the world. You can't say, I'm chosen for salvation and yet not live a sanctified life and live a life that still lives like you belong to the world. If God has chosen you, He has changed you. Amen? And that's what it says, that we've been chosen before the foundation of the world that we might be holy. You see, when we were saved, we became saints. I preached on that one of the very first weeks that we became saints. Now we know we don't always act saintly, but the fact is if you put your faith in Jesus, you become a saint. You become a holy thing set apart for God's use. And that means you're to reflect the nature of God. You're to have a new life and new goals and new desires and new affections. You see, if you've been saved, there's been a change in your life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Notice he didn't say you were refurbished. He said you were new. He didn't say you were remade. He says you're new. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You see, saved people want to live differently than they used to. Saved people want to live to please God. Now here's the thing, none of us are as holy as we should be, but we aren't as wicked as we used to be. Amen. You see, I may not be all I need to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. You see, I've got failures and I've got times I fall, but I'm not as wicked as I used to be, Brother Tommy, because I've been changed. But letter B, not only have we been changed in our practice, we've been changed in our position. He says we're to be holy in practice, but he says that we are to be blameless in position. We're to be without blame. That word blameless means without blemish, faultless, unblameable. It's the same word that would have been used to describe a perfect sacrificial animal. Now here's the thing. Let's be honest. We know we aren't perfect. Right? We know that we are still prone to failure. We know that we're still prone to sin. We know that we still struggle with this flesh. But even though we aren't perfect in our day-to-day walk, God sees us perfect through our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, even though we still stumble and we still fall, God looks at us and He sees the blood of Jesus has been applied to our account and He sees that in Christ we are perfect. Well, preacher, I'm not perfect. Well, by yourself you're not, but in Jesus You are. Because according to the Bible, when we came to Jesus for salvation, God justified us. He declared us not guilty and He declared us righteous. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 5.9 says, Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. You see, the word justified means to render or declare one to be just, righteous, or as he ought to be. You see, we were enemies against God. We were at enmity against him. We were opposed to him. But through faith in Jesus, we are now as we ought to be. There's now peace between us and God. We've been reconciled unto him. And now the charges that were against us have been wiped away. And we are not guilty. And so now the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us. You see, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How many know what it takes to go to heaven? Perfection. But guess what? We're all disqualified. But Jesus came and he knew no sin. He came and was tempted in all points like we were, but he sinned not. Took our place on the cross. He didn't die for his sin. He had none. Paid our debt. And through faith in him, we get his righteousness. We get his perfection. And so now in the sight of God, we're blankets. No charges against us. No fault against us. Even though in our day-to-day practice, Satan accuses us because he is the accuser of brethren. Even though Satan can go to God and say, Hey, do you see what they did? Jesus stands up, our advocate and said no. They're mine. And He pleads for us. That's why we're going to heaven. Not because we're perfect. But because He's perfect. And in Him, we're blameless. Amen? Because you hear me well, if it was up to you and me, we'd never get there. But in Him, we can make it. Amen? I'm thankful today that in Christ, we are complete. We're complete. In Him, we're secure and we're headed for heaven. You see, when God looks at one of His children, He doesn't see a person ready for hell, but He sees a saint worthy of heaven. And we may fall along the way. In fact, the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up just that we keep getting back up. Yes, we stumble along the way, but we get back up. But here's the thing. In Christ, we're perfect. And that's what makes us fit for heaven. Jesus. Let me move on. Number two. We've been adopted. Not only have we been changed, but we have been adopted. Look again at verse 5. It says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. The moment you and I were saved, we were adopted into the family of God. Now think about that for a moment and just let it sink in. God takes people that are unworthy, people that are wicked and vile, people that deserve hell, He saves them and brings them into His family. The fact is, if you begin to read God's Word and study it, it appears to me that God wanted a family. That God wasn't content with angels worshiping Him. But He wanted a family, Brother Tommy. He wanted people He could fellowship with. That's why I preach Wednesday night. We're going to a land of no more, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more uh, separation. Separation. Because the reality is there's going to be a a, a new city. The Bible says that this city is coming down to the new earth. And it says that God's going to dwell among men. Let me just tell you this, that if you die right now, you'll go to heaven. But here's the thing, you're not going to heaven to stay. Heaven's coming to earth. And God's going to dwell here. what the Bible says. Heaven's going to be on earth. It'll be heaven, but it's it's going to be here, the new earth. And God's going to dwell with men. We'll walk with Him. Fellowship with Him. You might say, preacher, how do you know that? Because in the book of Genesis, He came in the cool of the day and He walked with Adam and Eve. What God did then, what God's going to do now, in the end. God wants a family. That's why he sent his son. He could have a family, and if you're saved, you're part of his family. You've been adopted. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You've got a heavenly father. And hear me, he's a good, good father. You 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 might not have a good earthly father. You, you you may have a father down here that has abused you and mistreated you and ridiculed you and scorned you. But I promise you if God's your father, he's the greatest father you'll ever have. Now, we know that people have been adopting children for thousands of years, and human adoption, it's a great thing. And when humans choose to a- adopt a a child, it's because they find a child they love and they want to, they want to be a blessing to that child. And as I said, people have been adopting children for thousands of years. And in Bible days, especially in the Roman world, adoption, it was, it was common. When a Roman citizen adopted a child, certain rules applied that brought great benefit to the one being adopted. The word adoption means to place as a son. The picture of adoption is a beautiful picture of what God does for the repentant sinner. In the ancient world, the family was based on a Roman law called patria potestas, called, or the father's power. The law gave the father absolute authority over his children so long as the father lived. He could work, enslave, sell, and if he wished, he could even pronounce the death penalty on the adopted child. Regardless of the child's adult age, the father held all power over personal and property rights. And so adoption was a serious matter in that day. He held all authority over the child. And so when the child was adopted, three legal steps were taken. Number one, the adopted son was adopted permanently. He couldn't be adopted today and disinherited tomorrow. He became a son of the father forever. Number two, the adopted son immediately had all the rights of a legitimate son in the new family. That means when that son was brought into the family, he had just as much access to everything the real children had access to. Number three, the adopted son completely lost all rights in his old family. The adopted son was looked upon as a new person, so new that old debts and obligations with his former family were canceled out and abolished as if they never existed. You see, that's what happened to each and every one of us when we came to Jesus Christ for salvation. We were instantly adopted into God's family and became, as the text said, sons or children of God. We were removed from our old family and placed in Jesus and now in Christ we are the sons of God. This means that we are adopted forever, never to lose our inheritance. Hear me, once you are a child of God, you're always a child of God, God doesn't adopt you today and disinherit you later. God don't kick you out the family. So if you're a son or daughter, you're always a son or daughter. Much like your own kids, they're always going to be your kids. And I've heard stories about kids wanting to divorce their parents, but guess what? They steal their kids. I don't care what a piece of paper says. Steal their kids. And so, guess what? I don't care how foolish and crazy and rebellious you act. If you believed in Jesus and became His child, He He brought you in His family. You're in His family. Because here's the thing: you think about adoption in this world. Not every child gets adopted. The only children that get adopted get adopted because the parents choose the child. And God adopts us. He brings us into his family. That means he wanted us. Amen. Think about it. He wanted you. He wanted me. And there was nothing in us whatsoever worth wanting. And he said, I want Tommy and Sue and Francis and Kurt to be in my family. When we were in the world doing things we ought not to be doing, want them to be in my family and he did everything he could the Bible says predestined orchestrating every event every step, every valley, every high every low to get us to the place and the time where we'd hear the gospel and respond and come into his family listen it wasn't an accident when you got saved It wasn't an accident the place you got saved. It wasn't an accident the time you got saved. Because God determined it to bring you in His family. Everything you've gone through in life, God orchestrating you coming into His family. It wasn't just one day you had the good sense to say, I think I need to get saved today. No, God moving in your life, lining things up so that one day you'd hear a preacher say, you'll believe on Jesus. He'll save you. And you responded, that was God aligning things, marking off the boundaries in your life so that you'd never go too far. You could never come back so that you'd come into His family. I believe that. Because I sat many church services and felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost and said no. But one night in January around 1998, I believe it was, if my mind served me correctly, around midnight after mom and daddy got done saying bedtime prayers, I stood up and the Holy Ghost convicted me. No no altar music, no preacher preaching, but I stood up and all of a sudden something grabbed hold of me. And Brother Tommy, there wasn't no letting go then. There wasn't no shaking it off. I had to get saved. There wasn't no just as I am playing. There wasn't no amazing grace being sung. But I had to get right. That was God. I believe before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. God had a plan. And He worked it out in time to bring me and everyone here into His family. Because we serve a great big God who loves us. That's the only reason we're here, church. Because He loves us. It's about the good pleasure of His will. I thank God today that I've been brought into His family. And if you're saved today, you ought to thank Him that you've been brought into His family. I'll say it again, you didn't get saved by accident. It wasn't coincidence, it wasn't chance. God planned it in eternity and brought it to pass in time. Let me move on. Number three. He tells us that we've been accepted. Verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Notice that phrase, made us accepted in the beloved. This simply means that it takes a relationship with Jesus to make a person acceptable to God. Hear me well this morning. God will never accept anyone on his or her own merits. You see, the best we can do as humans is filthy and dirty in the eyes of God. According to Isaiah 64, verse 6, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That word filthy rags means a filthy garment. The best we can do is filthy and dirty in God's sight. Apart from Jesus, all our efforts at religion and holiness will never be enough to please Him. On your best day, it's not good enough. Hear me. Your best 15 minutes aren't good enough. And there's a lot of people trusting in how good they are it'll never be good enough. I told you, it takes perfection to get to heaven. I would dare say that since we've all been up this morning, none of us have been perfect. I know I hadn't. Anybody else want to say you've been perfect this morning since you've been up? Because here's the thing, if you had to get kids out the bed, or had to deal with a spouse this morning. You probably hadn't been perfect, because I know how it goes around the house having to deal with a spouse, a kids, and things like that. And here's something you might not have said, that, but you probably thought something, right? And guess what? He knows the thoughts. <laughs> But guess what? We didn't get away with it. But we've been accepted in the beloved. That if we're in Christ, we've been accepted. That's good news, Brother Thomas. Because I can't go to God on my own and be accepted. Because I don't have anything to offer him. None of us do. But in Christ, I've accepted. And I have access. And I can approach him. And here's the thing, I don't have to approach him feeling unworthy. I don't have to approach him, beating myself up. Why? Because in Christ, I'm accepted. Here's how some of you go to God God, I'm just an old, dirty sinner. I'm unworthy. I don't deserve to be here. In Christ, you do deserve to be there, you're accepted. I'm not telling you that if you, if, you, if you sin not to confess it, deal with it. But here's the thing. In Christ, you deserve to be in His presence. He's your Father. And in Christ, you're accepted. And you can go before Him every day. You see, I used to live much of my life just thinking I don't deserve to be in God's presence i much of my life thinking that if I don't walk the straight and narrow, God's going to punish me, God's going to get me. That all of a sudden I'm going to lose it all, I'm going I'm to be damned for hell forever. Much of my Christian walk, if I, if I could just be very transparent and honest with you, much of my Christian walk for many years, I lived in fear. And if many of you would be honest today, that's how many of you lived your Christian life, in fear. That God was out to get you. That if you messed up one little bit, God was going to get you. Because all you've ever heard was the wrath of God, the holiness of God. You ain't never heard much about His love and His grace. And yes, He chastises His children. He, he, He corrects us. It's always out of love. Grew up in church, and I've seen many people respond to the the altar service, and a lot of times it was out of fear. Preach hell's hot, people respond because they're afraid. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Isn't that what it says? The goodness of God, the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. want to say to you today God loves you and nothing can ever separate us from his love. On your bad day he loves you just as much as he loves you on your good day and you're accepted in Christ And so here's the thing like Adam you don't have to go running and hiding behind fig leaves you can just go to him and say, yeah I messed up. But in Christ I've accepted. We don't have to hide anymore. Because Jesus paid it all. Amen. Oh, I feel him this morning. You see, first John 5 12, let me read this. It says, He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The question really comes out of this, are you in the Son? Have you believed on Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation? Listen, if you have Jesus, you have life. And it's Jesus alone that makes you acceptable. It's not your good works. It's not your religion. It's not your church attendance. It's not your denomination. It's not water baptism. It's Jesus Christ. I want to close this morning? I, I've got more here, but I want to—I I just feel His presence this morning. Some of you this morning, I know you may still be struggling with the message from last week. You may even be struggling with some of the things that I've said in this message this morning. But let me. Before we move on in our text next week, going to verse 7 to verse 10, I want to just give you the main point that Paul is making in these verses all the way to verse 14. From verse 3 to verse 14, here's what Paul is trying to say. Salvation comes from God. That, that's the main thrust of what Paul is trying to say in all these verses, is that salvation comes from God. He's wanting us to know that sinners don't save themselves. But salvation is all about God. And I don't believe anybody here has a problem with that, do we? It's, it's, from, it's from God. And we may struggle with understanding election, predestination. Rede- we may un- uh, struggle with some of these words. But if we boil it down to the fact that salvation is of God, we understand that. We don't save ourselves. And that's what it comes down to. It's all of Him. Nothing to do with us. It's Him. So that's what I want us to take away as we begin to study these verses in the remainder of this chapter. It's God that saves. And not we ourselves. And why is it that God saves? So that God gets the glory. It's so that no man can boast. Because if we had a part in our salvation, we'd brag. We'd talk about what we did to get to heaven. But when we get to heaven, there'll be nobody boasting except what they can glorify God for. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? you're here today and you're saved you've got reason for rejoicing God chose you He saved you, He accepted you He adopted you in His family all because of Jesus that's reason for rejoicing but if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ you can come to Him today, He'll save you and He will not turn you away